The idea behind the book of Jonah, or the kind of the idea behind this series, is Jonah is a book that we're probably all uh, at some level familiar with, whether you actually are a Christian or not a Christian. Uh, we all have probably heard of the book of Jonah. In fact, depending on your background and your church background, you heard Jonah was swallowed by a big. There you go. But for some of us, you read the Bible a bunch, and you know that it says big fish, and you're like, no, it's a fish. And we all say, ooh, you're so spiritual. So regardless of who, of, of who you are, we've all heard of the book of Jonah. Uh, we've all heard of Jonah in the whale. It kind of equates with some bigger, bigger Bible stories that we know of. Uh, we kind of know the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. We know a good amount about this guy named David and the guy named Goliath. We've heard of that story. Uh, perhaps Moses in the Red Sea. And then there is Jonah in the big fish or the big whale for those of us who just don't care about being accurate. So regardless of where you are, um, we all know and probably have heard of the book of Jonah. And in fact, in the book of Jonah, there is a lot of conversation around how to interpret and understand it. In other words, some people will look at the book of Jonah and think, okay, it's just a basic idea. It's a story to illustrate more principles. It's not necessarily literal. And some of that's difficult because it's hard to prove through historicity. The the actual account of Jonah, and other, by that I mean we don't have like a fossil that has a big fish or a whale, and I'm just going to call it a whale just for ease, but you get what I'm saying. There's not like an old fish that has like a heel print in the esophagus of it that we're all like saying, look, see, that was the fish, and you can't really see that. The reason, let me just kind of pause and say this. The reason as Christians we take the, the, the story of Jonah or the account of Jonah seriously, and if you're not a Christian, that, that, that's fine. Or if you are a Christian and you don't view it this way, that's fine too. But the reason that we view it um, as a real story that actually happened is because, in fact, Jesus viewed it as a story that actually happened. Two times, as Jesus is walking and talking, and the gospel writers account for this in a couple of different gospels, um, Jesus looks at the story of Jonah and refers to it not as if it's a story, but as if it actually happened. And so, um, as we understand the Bible, and as we understand the scriptures, some of us are going to view the, the book of Jonah as a history, you know, this happened, historical event. Some of us are going to look at it as a great story, illustrate some principles. But, no matter how you look at the book of Jonah, there are some things that perhaps we missed as we grew up in Sunday school. And the reason I say that is many of us look at the book of Jonah as Jonah, a guy who ran from the call of God. God called him to do something. He ran another way. He got swallowed by a whale. God said, gotcha. And then on the other end, he did some stuff. Now, that might be partly true of the narrative of the book of Jonah. But what I want to do in this first week is give you a little context in the beginning of the book of Jonah of what's happening. Now, to understand Jonah... You really have to understand where we are in the history of the nation of Israel, in the history of the Old Testament. You see, Old Testament begins, a guy named Adam, a series of people that existed after that, of the Noahs and of the uh, Abrahams and folks like that. And eventually this kind of lineage would manifest itself in this guy named Abraham. Abraham would be a guy, crazy, and Abraham would have many sons, and many sons had father. Somebody was stoked about that, right? right. And I am one of them, and so are, so let's all, okay, okay, we got a little bit, we kind of waned on that one, don't worry, I won't ask that again. So Abraham had many sons, many sons had father, I am one of them, so are you, so let's praise the Lord, right? So what happens is, as Abraham and his sons become what would be the nation of Israel, because God promised Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be a great nation, Abraham, eventually, you know, a bunch of stuff happens, and Abraham uh, becomes this nation called Israel, Israel is enslaved in the bigger nation, Egypt, God leads them out of the nation of, of, of Egypt into the desert, spend a number of different years in the desert, go into the promised land, as they're into the promised land, sometimes they're faithful to God, sometimes they're not. 
Every time they're not, God is their ruler. There is no king. There is no president for the nation of Israel at this time. So God raises up what the Bible calls a judge to lead the nation of Israel back out of the oppression, out of the you know, war, or into what God would have them to do in obedience to him. Well, that, as it progresses, the nation of Israel says, we want a king. So eventually God says, okay, you want a king, you're going to have a king, but kings aren't going to work out too well for you. In the history of the kings of the Bible, of the Old Testament specifically, of the nation of Israel, was that the kings were almost notoriously bad. Now input, the the part you read in your Bible, of the prophets. The prophets would prophesy to the kings because the kings were almost always doing the wrong thing. And as the prophets would prophesy to the kings, they would get a word from the Lord and say, hey, I want you to go tell king so-and-so, such-and-such. I want you to tell, no, no, that's really specific, but, you know, there's a lot of prophets and there's a lot of kings. And so as this progressed, there was one prophet, and his name was Jonah. And when we read it in the book of Jonah, it actually isn't the first time the Bible accounts for Jonah, the prophet. Jonah, before he shows up in the book of Jonah, prophesies to one of the kings of the nation of Israel. And as he prophesies, had success in what he says. Now, here's why that's going to be important. Because when we read the book of Jonah, oftentimes we view it through the lens. That there was just this random guy who was hanging out, and God called him to do something, and he didn't want to do it. The truth is, Jonah was a follower of God. In fact, Jonah was a prophet of God, and there were very, very few prophets in the nation of Israel. That Jonah was a prophet of God, and Jonah walked into the book of Jonah having already been called by God, having already been obedient to God, and having been successful in that obedience. Which means, when we read the book of Jonah, if you're in here and you're a Christian, you've probably read the book of Jonah a hundred times. But the book of Jonah is the book or the story of a bunch of people who follow God and yet in a weird twist are rebellious even though we've dedicated our life to this God. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, And call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. God says, okay, Jonah, you've heard of Nineveh. So I want you to go to this great city. Now, another little background. There was a world superpower on the stage who many of you in your history classes, history books, or just in your kind of extracurricular reading have heard of, the Assyrians. Well, Nineveh around this time was becoming the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire would eventually become responsible for taking out about half of Israel. And so God calls to Jonah. And he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the capital of the warring nation. I want you to, in terms of the the world's conflict, the world's power, I want you to go to the primary city and I want you to prophesy against them. I want you to go and I want you to preach to them. What's interesting is there's a two-part to this, as as many of you know, is about to run from that calling. One part is what if he's successful. The other part is what if he isn't successful. You see, it's a catch-22 for Jonah. If he's successful, then that means their enemies repent and their enemies are given grace by God, and that means their enemies might continue to oppress and lord over them. And if he's not successful... 
he dies. And so Jonah looks at God and says, basically, are you serious? And here's what's, here's what's fascinating. Here's what we're going to learn throughout the book of Jonah. There is no hero in the book of Jonah. There is nobody who gets it right. There are three parties that we're going to be introduced to throughout the book. There's Jonah, who runs and rebels. There's Nineveh, whose sin is so great that God identifies that one particular city. This is like God looks at the entire world and is like, man, that city is bad. That's saying that's a bad city. On top of that, you have the sailors that Jonah's going to run to in a little bit, and they all worship different and other gods than one true living God, as Jonah would refer to God. Which means, you've got a a rebel, you've got evil, and you've got idol worship. And what's fascinating is throughout the book, God does not hold their rebellion, their evil, and their idolatry against them. But in each one of those has love and grace and redemption. That is throughout the story. So verse 2 says, Go to that great city of Nineveh. Go to the capital of the world power. Go to the capital of the evil power that exists in the world. And prophesy against that great city because their sin has come up against me. Now, the way that, that, that phrase, their sin has come up against me, in the original language speaks more along the lines of, I can no longer ignore the evil that exists there. It's not like God's like up there in heaven and he's saying, oh, do, 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 and all of a sudden some evil happens. It's like, whoa, I didn't even see that city before. I was so unaware. What happens is, is God basically says, the evil has gotten so bad there. I can't ignore it anymore. Now pause again. Let me just, this, this is the entire story of Jonah. When God sees the evil of the nation of Assyria, when God sees the evil of the city of Nineveh, God's response is not to condemn, judge, and kill. God's response is to redeem and restore in light of their evil. So God says, Jonah, I want you to go. And in that, Jonah does what many of us would do. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. So Jonah hears this, and he hears what God wants him to do, and runs the other direction. Now, a couple things. One is to paint a little bit of a picture, you know, sitting in a This would be like God calling you or calling me, you know, way back in the day to say, hey, in the middle of World War II, I want you to go to Nazi Germany, and I want you to prophesy that they should repent. It's like, Right, I bet I'm going to do that. I, um, I'm currently reading a book, just kind of my nighttime reading stuff. There's a, there's a fantastic book I think everybody should read, by the way. It's called Black Like Me, and it's about a guy who experienced um, what it was like to be African-American in the late 1950s of the Civil Rights Movement. And he's at this point where I'm reading the book is in Mississippi in just extraordinary hatred, extraordinary you know, oppression that's happening there. This would be like God calling someone to go to Mississippi in the middle of the civil rights movement, in the middle of the, the height of hatred and oppression, saying, I want you to go tell your enemies that they're wrong. <laughs> now, all of us run from sin. Or all of us not run from sin. That would be great. All of us run from God sometimes and rebel. <laughs> Maybe you run from sin. Hey, good, good, good for you. Hopefully. But here's, here, here's what's interesting. Every time we rebel from God, there's almost always a reason. Every time we rebel against God, 
Every time, and if you're, not a, if you're in here, you're not a Christian, you're just kind of you know, listening. Every time you, do, or you don't do something that you know you ought to do, or you do something that you know you ought not do, how, whatever your moral compass directs, every time we go against what we know is right, we do that for a reason. We do it because it feels good. We do it because it sounds good. We do it because it seems more comfortable. We do it for a whole litany of reasons, but almost every time we do something, we do it for a reason. Shocker. And especially when it comes to rebelling against God. We have reasons that we don't do what God calls us to do. We have reasons we don't spend time in His Word. We have reasons why we don't spend time in prayer, because we're busy. We have reasons for every sin. We have reasons for everything that we do, just like Jonah. And the very next part of this third verse, I think, is the most probably powerful part of this entire book. Because Jonah, in his rebellion against God, verse 3 talks about what's happening spiritually in this rebellion. That is to say, you and I can rebel against God. In verse 3, the second half says, and this is what happens when you rebel. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, to a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's here's what's interesting. Every time we rebel against God, Every time we rebel against God, every time we rebel against God, what accompanies rebellion is almost always rejection. What accompanies rebellion is almost always rejection. This is why, for many of us, we can rebel against God, or when we rebel against God, all of a sudden it's tough to encounter God. For all of us, come on, we've all, this isn't like, oh, for those of you sinners out there who have rebelled against God. This is like everybody. We've all done this. We've all have some point have rebelled against God, know what we ought to do and didn't do it. I'm not talking about like a little like, okay, you were supposed to go 30 miles an hour down, you know, Gain Street on your way over here and you went 33, you animal. You know, how could you, the monstrosities that you create. Now, this is like when you know there was this big thing, you promised God, man, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. And then you do it and you can't believe you did it and you don't want anybody to find out. Isn't it true that when you are in a season of rebellion or have just in some major way gone against what you knew good and well God wanted you to do, isn't it hard after that to enter back into the presence of God? We want to hide from it. This is why when you're in a season, if you especially have been to church before and you used to go to church and used to be a part of the church and then you lived however you wanted to, not in a condemning way, but this is why it was so difficult to go back to church. Because it's easier when we rebel against God to avoid the presence of God as a whole. In fact, for some of us, We've gone so far down the path of rebellion. This isn't condemning. This is, we've all probably experienced this to, a, to different degrees. We've all been down the path of rebellion so far that some of us are in full-on rejection. Perhaps for you, this coming to church today was a huge step because you, for months, if not years, have been avoiding the presence of God. And for you to simply step into a building where you knew that the presence of God was going to be, was a huge step. When I was in college, I was uh, mentored by a a 
an extraordinarily godly man. His name was Reggie Hutchins. He pastors a church here on the south side of town called Unity Baptist. In fact, I think every time I talk about him, I'm like, man, you should just go to his church. Don't go here. He's way more spiritual than I am. Um, in fact, he speaks here from time to time. His son, Greg, I mean, they just do such, a, such an incredible job. Pastor Reggie used to say this. Either the Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. Either the Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. Either the Bible will compel you to obedience to God or our sinfulness will make us want to reject the presence of God and keep us away from his word. Isn't that true? This is why. This is why for many of us, we identify so much with Jonah. Now, here's, here's what's crazy. If you're a Christian, come on, t- t- tell me this isn't true. There is a propensity inside each one of us who are God followers to actively avoid the one that we have dedicated our life to. Isn't that crazy? That you and I, we've all experienced this. We've given our life declared our faith, our hope, and our trust in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit now comes and lives and moves and breathes and resides inside of each one of us, that the Spirit of the living God lives in me, that I was taken from death to life, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and in light of all that, in light of giving him my entire life, surrendering everything to him, can actively avoid and hide from his presence. Isn't that weird? We've all done it. In fact, for some of us, we're doing it. This is why I love Jonah. Because Jonah isn't about a guy who simply rebelled. Jonah, the story, the account, the book of Jonah, it was about a guy who went into this thing, not as an unbeliever, as a guy who was a minister who knew God, knew God well, understood the call, understood the voice, understood the presence of God, in fact, had had ministerial success, and still, when he was confronted with rebellion, rejected the presence and hid from the one who he had consumed his life with. Now, that is so incredibly true of us. This is why we know we ought to spend more time with God. But we avoid his presence. We avoid church sometimes. We avoid going to him in his word oftentimes. We avoid going to him in prayer oftentimes. We avoid experiencing God in the community of other people in groups and in Bible studies and in fellowship oftentimes. We avoid the presence of God in serving and loving the neighbors and the people around us. Because we all have a propensity. If you're in here and you're a Christian, to avoid the one that we've dedicated and committed our life to. Because every season of rebellion manifests itself, whether we realize it or not, in a tendency, in a leniency, in a direction towards rejection. So Jonah flees, runs to Joppa, hops on a ship, then goes to Tarshish. But the Lord... Curled a great wind upon the sea, verse 4. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
<laughs> I think this is kind of funny because all of a sudden Jonah gets on this ship. Ship starts going. The, the, you know, the sea, everything gets crazy. And as the Bible says it, that um, so the ship threatened to break up. The, the ship was basically like, nah, man, y'all can have this back. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you, <laughs> I just think it's funny. It's like the ship was talking like, hey, this is, this is ridiculous. Y'all just take this. I'm, I'm out. You know, the ship's saying this is, this is enough. Because what happens is all of a sudden this, this, this huge storm comes up. And as Jonah is sitting there, the funny part well, I don't know if it's funny or not, but verse 5, then the mariners were afraid, so that all the, all the uh, sailors were afraid, and cried out to each, God, each to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah is a strong sleeper. If, this, if you guys don't remember anything else, Jonah can sleep. That's all you got to know. Now, Jonah... This whole thing's happening. Ship's going crazy. Ship's like, I'm having, I've had enough. They start getting their belongings. I mean, the, the storm's so bad, they start getting their belongings. They start throwing them into this. They say, wouldn't that valuable? Yeah, but it's not more valuable in my life. And they've, who knows what's on the sea, if it's uh, on their stuff. If it's their clothes, if it's their money. Maybe they just went antiquing in Havana, and they have a sweet set of earrings or something, you know, or a chair. It's like, oh, my gosh. And so whatever it is, they're just throwing stuff. Meanwhile, Jonah is asleep. Now, this parse out a couple of things that happened in this that we can identify with. Number one, it's that in that, when we see this story, we see the ship, we see the sea, we see the storm as the condemnation and the judgment of God. That God was so mad at Jonah that he decided, I'm going to send this gigantic storm because I'm mad at Jonah. That couldn't be more untrue. The storm comes. The storm goes crazy. And God uses the storm. God leverages the storm. In fact, perhaps God even creates the storm. But the purpose of the storm was not to punish Jonah. The purpose of the storm was for to bring Jonah to the awareness that he, in fact, needs the presence of God in his life. You see, we all go through storms in life. We all go through the same type of an idea. But what happens in Jonah is Jonah, in the middle of this whole storm, is not even aware of what's going on. Meanwhile, God is trying to use this storm to grab Jonah's attention. To say, Jonah, wake up, come back to my presence. You see, whenever we rebel against God, let me make this kind of like a math equation. Rebellion leads to rejection. Rejection leads to pain. Every time you rebel against God, there is pain associated with that rebellion. Every time you know what you ought not do and do it, or know what you ought to do and don't do it, there is pain suffered from the rebellion. That, for some of us, maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe not because you believe in God, but because you've done what you wanted to do as opposed to what God wanted you to do for so long that you kind of realized, I have so many scars and so many you know, big, massive things that have happened. And you walk in here this morning not because you're convinced that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but because you're convinced that what was happening ain't working anymore. And you've got the scars to show it. But here's the problem. Jonah's asleep. Jonah is unaware that this is even happening. In fact, the, the captain starts to come down to Jonah as this is all going down. But Jonah had gone down to the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, 
what do you mean, you sleeper? Now, the funny thing is he says, what do you mean? Jonah hadn't even said anything at that point. Maybe that's how, because the, the storm was so bad. He's like, what did you mean? Jonah's like, what do you mean? What do, I, what do I mean? I didn't say anything. So he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, so he runs into Jonah in the middle of this whole thing. By the way, this is after they all declared and started praying to their own gods. So there's a couple of different things happening in the, in the, in the tension of this story. That one is that there's a bunch of people who are a bunch of, you know, probably men at this point who are all praying to their own gods, their own idols, their own whatever it is that they're worshiping. They're praying and saying, something please save us. In the middle of this, Jonah is fast asleep. Now, here is where I think, if we haven't entered into the story, this is where we absolutely enter in. Because what we try to do is when we rebel and when we reject and we face pain, we do everything we can to mute that pain. We have, especially because of the country we live in, because of the affluence that we live in, no matter how rich or how poor you are in here, simply because of the fact that you are and you are living in America, we have the ability to mute the consequences of the pain to varying levels and to varying degrees that our rebellion costs. I was with a um, gentleman who was a pastor this week, and uh, he's a pastor of a ginormous church down in Orlando, and uh, about once a quarter, he and I get up, and as we were talking, I, was, I, I, just, I, just, I, I get in rooms with guys like that, and I'm like, man, just, I have a thousand questions to ask, and I just have pages of notes of things. It's like, how do you do this? How do you do that? What do you think about this? One of the things I asked him, well, so what do you do to feed yourself? How do you grow as a person? How do you grow as a leader? I mean, they're all, you know, this is a thousands of person church, and, and how do you, you know, there's so few people that have been where you've been and been the lead pastor of a church that big. So how do you grow? He was talking about how his soul is fed, and one of the things he said, it says, every year I go to Africa. Every year I go to Africa. He, has, uh, he and his wife have, have adopted, I think, six children uh, from Ethiopia. And he says, every year I go to Africa. And there's a number of different reasons that he explained, but he says one of the reasons is because when he goes there, he sees the fullness of the consequence and the pain of sin. He said, I go there, and in America, we really don't see the extent of our sin. From time to time, we'll see the extent. From time to time, we'll see the actual pain that exists as it comes as a consequence of our sin. But, he says, there you see the real consequence of corruption. You see the real consequence of self-centeredness. You see the real consequence of anything and everything, of any kind of thing that you can see that's sinful. You see where that sin fully extends. He said, but the problem is, is in America, we can pay to have that muted. Let me just tell you, Americans, we don't sleep through storms. We pay through them. We pay through our pain. We pay through our suffering. We pay through our rebellion. And even if it's not in a direct monetary transaction, you think about any sin, any rebellion that we can enter into. This is not a warning against having money because we all have money. It's the reality that you think about any sin and any rebellion that you and I can have against God, and the reality is, is we can avoid a lot of the pain that that sin would cause. Because we can pay to have the pain muted. 
But every once in a while, a storm comes that's beyond our ability to pay. That's beyond our ability to control. That's beyond our ability to help. And in this, Jonah begins to wake up. Because perhaps for God, as he sends this storm to Jonah, it's not that he's mad at Jonah. It's not that he wants Jonah to face this punishment. It's that God so loves Jonah that he allows the storm to happen so that Jonah will come to the realization that he, in fact, is always in need of the presence of God. See what I love about this? Is Jonah, the story, up to this point, and in fact throughout the entire thing, is the story of Jesus. Because God is not a God who sees our sin and hates us for it. God is not a God who sees, we're all all in different boats. Some of us, we're Jonah. We've been following God, and in following God, you know, we have decided to hide, and we have decided to rebel. Some of us are the sailors, and in being the sailors, we don't even really acknowledge that that is the true God. For some of us, we're Nineveh, and we're just doing our own dang thing. For all of us, it's different people. There's extraordinary evil, there's idolatry, and there's rebellion. We're all in different things, but the story of Jonah is in each of those categories. God is a God who saves each of those who extends mercy mercy to each of those in light of their ungodliness. God is going to save the sailors from the storm, the nation from judgment, and Jonah from being swallowed by a fish because he loves and does not want them to fully realize, to fully grasp, to fully grapple with, and to face the consequences of our rebellion. In fact, so much so That he sent his only son into the world. That the story of Jesus is defined by a God who didn't see you and didn't see me. Because we've all rebelled against God. We've all done things we knew we shouldn't do. We've all rejected him in our own different ways. And God saw that in each one of us and didn't say, I can't believe you. I hate you. He saw that in us and said, I'm going to send my one and only son into the world. He's going to teach some extraordinary teachings. He's going to perform some crazy miracles. And at the end of that, he's going to do what no one thought he's going to do, but he's going to die. But the reason he's going to die is because on the cross, he is going to take the sin, the condemnation, the judgment, and the consequence that we should have faced on the cross, on the sins, or on the Savior of the world, sat the sin of the entire world. That anyone who puts their faith, their hope, their trust in him would have eternal life, would have ultimate forgiveness, would not have to face the consequences, the pain that our sin naturally deserves. That he didn't see us and condemn us. He saw us and sent us his son to die. And if ever there was a question, the question was answered when he rose from the dead. Appearing to one, appeared to a couple, as Corinthians would talk about, appeared to over 500 folks at one time, as Paul would say, many of whom are still living in Jerusalem. In other words, you don't believe me, go talk to them. Because we all saw it. Because here's the thing. In light of our rebellion, in light of our idolatry, in light of our evil, God is a God of mercy. The story of Jonah highlights the depravity of us, the holiness of God, and the grace and the mercy that he extends to each 
in every one of us. So here's what I want you to do with all this information. We're all at different stages in life. We're all at different places in our relationship with God. We're all at different places in our pursuit of a potential relationship with God. In fact, for some of us, not even a pursuit of a potential. You're just here, and I'm so glad that you are. But here's what I want you to do. If you are in a season currently, if you're in a season of rebellion against God, maybe you're not even in a season of it, you've just kind of opened the door to rebellion against God. Or perhaps you've been in that season for so long, you're in full-on rejection of God. Here's all I want you to do. I want you to take one step forward this week. Whatever that step is for you, I simply want you to take one step forward into entering into the presence of God. Entering into the presence of a God who does not condemn you, but a God who loves you. Into the presence of a God who so loves you, he gave his one and only son to die so that we could have a relationship. We could have forgiveness. We could have eternity with him. And what that step is, it's for you to decide. Perhaps for you, again, just showing up here was a huge step. And maybe the next step for you isn't that all of a sudden you dedicate your life, you commit your life, you, you know, come and you're on your knees and you're praying. Perhaps for you, your, your next step is that you show up again. You simply go to church again. Because it was a huge step for you to intentionally walk into a place, a place, a congregation, a church where you knew the presence of God was going to be. And so perhaps for you, your step towards entering back into the presence of God is simply coming back to church. Or you go to a different church, or you go to this church, and you're like, man, you guys are freaking weird. I'm going to a different church. Talk to me afterwards. I can, I can recommend 10 different churches for you in town, depending on your preference. Just tell me what you want. I got plenty of churches for you. Well, whatever it is, you just go. Or maybe for you, it's that you go from being an attender and you know that you can kind of come here but you can still avoid the presence of God. And so you join a group because you know it's difficult to avoid the presence of God within a community of other people. Perhaps for you, it's that you go and you serve. You go alongside some other folks and you decide to serve. You decide to be a part of the Project Tallahassee. You decide to be a part of the HOPE program. Or any other thing. Perhaps for you, it's that you enter into your own time with God through prayer through the scriptures but whether you're in full on rejection season of rebellion or opening the door to it or if you're at the point where perhaps you see that you have that tendency you see that you have that propensity to hide from the one that you gave your life with it's for you to continue daily entering into the presence of God So I don't know what that next step is for you. But my prayer for you is going to be that God gives you and God gives me and God gives all of us the wisdom to know what to do, to know what that next step is or that continual step. And then he gives you the courage to do it. I'll end by saying this. The thing I want to be sensitive of is I know that God has everyone on a different path on a different timeline. We don't want to delay, but we don't want to push because God has his timing. 
So here's how I'd say when it comes to you reinvesting, especially, especially just for the people, you're in full-on rejection mode. I would say this to you. Take as long as you need, but take no longer than you have to. You take as long as you need, because it's a process. You take as long as you need, because you have questions. You take as long as you need, because you have all kinds of thoughts and baggage in history. But you take no longer than you have to. Because there is a God who so loves you, he sent his son to die for you. And there is nothing greater than experiencing that joy and that presence every day in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we know this is not something that is unique to any individual in this room. We all, each in our own way, have rebelled against you. Each in our own way have decided to worship other gods, the God of success, the God of money, the God of comfort. We all have been the city of Nineveh and had extraordinary, just evil, things that we know we shouldn't have done and done them. And God, the story of Jonah is the story of your grace. Perhaps for some of us, there's a storm in life right now. God, would you use that storm if we have been avoiding your presence to wake us up to our need for your presence in our lives? And God, I pray that for each and every one of us, myself included, you would give us the wisdom to know what our next step is. You would give us the wisdom to know the specific application. You would give us the wisdom to know how we are avoiding your presence in our lives because each one of us avoids you in different ways. And you would give us the courage. You would give us the courage to step into your presence and, in fact, in many ways, acknowledge that your presence is always there and has always been there. And we thank you that in spite of our rebellion and our rejection, in spite of our idolatry, in spite of our evil, you show grace, you show love, you show mercy, and you displayed it for the entire world to see on the cross. Would you please give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage that it takes to do it? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.